Welcome to the Afropolitan Podcast, hosted by Eche Emole, founder of Afropolitan. On the show, we chat with Afropolitans whose footprints form the foundation of systems dedicated to building the future of a bold and progressive Black community. In each episode, our guests share their working formulas, the hard facts about leaving familiar terrain, embracing the unknown, and staying relevant afterwards. Listen as we extract the blueprints of fearlessness, innovation, and progress. In today's episode, we chat with Achu Devore, CEO of Bitsika, a payments platform that helps people send money across countries. Achu talks about being a serial entrepreneur, his determination to build a multi-million dollar company, and the partnership between popular Afrobeats artists Davido and Bitsika. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the Afropolitan Podcast, bro. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What time is it in your time zone? I'm doing great. Actually, it's, it's an honor to be here speaking to you and, uh, and to be on the podcast. Um, I'm in Accra right now, and believe it or not, it's 4 a.m., so I've not slept the whole... <laughs> yeah, I've not slept the whole <laughs> night. Um, yeah, so it's been a very, very busy night leading up into a busy dawn. Mm-hmm. Probably going to sleep when the sun comes up. So, yeah, typical day for me. Wow. So so is this your typical day schedule as, as a founder? Because let's even really talk about how many startups currently do you do you have out there? Too? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, legally, I think mm-hmm. it's <laughs> two, two and a half, maybe. So I have the one that I think I'm most associated with, BitSeeker which is um, mm-hmm. we're focused on building like intra-African remittances powered by crypto on the, mm-hmm. on the continent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Bitsika, yeah, it, it is one thing, one company, but then there are a lot of sub things beneath it. So many like, you know, mm-hmm. subsets or sub products beneath Bitsika itself. So Bitsika alone has like a bunch of kids that even I don't even talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So you say Bitsika, people think, oh yeah, one product, but not necessarily. So another major thing is an offshoot of Bitsika. So now we've been having a lot of problems with regulators as far as like building fintech and crypto concurrently in our products. Mm-hmm. So we decided, mm-hmm. why don't we mm-hmm. separate fintech and crypto? We have the fintech stuff in Bitsika like we were always doing. But all our crypto native ideas, mm-hmm. we still want to build for the future, still want to build for Web3. So where we establish an outfit called Omigot. And Omigot is basically our mm-hmm. crypto arm where we can do purely crypto stuff, where we don't have to depend on any fintech API or anything like that, just pure, purely crypto stuff. Um, yeah, so that's called Omigot. So that's like the number two. And then our three is a product called Year One. Erwan is basically on a mission to empower creators on the continent and help them monetize their time. So how it works now is a one-to-one paid chat. You Mm -hmm. can literally, if any influencer is on Erwan, you can pay them in your local African currency and have the opportunity to talk to them. What we're currently building to Erwan is group chats, so like paid groups. So any influencer can create a group. Imagine David having like a 30BG paid group where you just pay thousand yeah. a month to be in the group and he posts exclusive uh can i curse stuff 
Yeah, of course. Of course. Please feel free. Um, shit in the group. So that's basically. So yeah, my, my hands are really, really tight. Your yeah, hands are full. My hands are full. I just hope if, if, if I'm to build anything else, I'd say I'd like to build mm-hmm. something in the real world. Maybe like a restaurant or like a suya joint or something. Like something different just to, I guess, spice things up. But nothing, nothing so, to scale up anymore, please. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this, right? I think uh, Mark Andreessen from A16Z said in the past that software is eating the world. As a software engineer and also as a technical founder, when the idea comes into your head and you feel like you can solve this with software, do you just, just start coding and then you, <laughs> if, if the code works, you're like, all right, cool, this is going to be a company. How does that process work out for you? Yeah, so I'd say that there's a different way you do it at the beginning of your career and also a different way you do it mm-hmm. when you're like in the midst of like a career that's going well. So I'd say that at the mm-hmm. very beginning of my career, learning how to code was like the first zero to one thing that I did in my career because yeah. I was yeah. one of those guys where it's like, oh, I felt like I was smart. You know, I dropped out of college to come pursue my entrepreneurial dreams in oh, wow. Ghana. But then mm-hmm. I wasn't like a good code at the time. So I had to like go pay people mm. to help me build stuff. So you you fall into the trap of like, oh, the coder is bluffing you or they don't care about the project as much as you do. Or maybe even it could also be your fault. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're just not paying them well or you don't know how to manage them well. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not always, don't always blame the other guy. You blame yourself mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. as well. Right. So I'll just say that there was always that lag. It's like, shit, like I am obsessed with this idea, but why aren't you as a coder obsessed as I am? And like, you're hardly going to get that. So one time I just sat my ass down and decided that I'm going to get good at this coding thing. So I basically, you know, just became more focused and practiced my coding skills to the point where I could build my own MVPs. So I'm really good that you put it that way because... Mm -hmm. Now, after I became that competent, what happens was is that when I get an idea, I'm able to start building it immediately. Mm. And then because I'm obsessed with the idea I want to build, that obsession shows because I, I code like 12 hours a day, literally changing stuff, you know, just iterating mm-hmm. day by day. So actually, um, my company, Bitscada, I spoke about uh, at the beginning, that's literally how it came about. I had the idea for it and I... I, I don't know if I, I you know it's been about two years or so so I don't know if I started coding the same night I got the idea or the next day but mm-hmm. it was like almost immediately and I couldn't have done that if I did not code so I'll say like yes coding then out code like that's definitely like a zero to one moment for anyone who wants to be like a founder and a successful one but I'll say that in in you know once you progress into your career and you have resources, mm-hmm. it becomes different. Mm-hmm. Like now there are, so like the, the, my team members who I work with, they are far better coders than I am or I'd ever be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've also become good at my product thinking and, and I guess putting a team together, managing people. So that's, that's just where I am now that I don't even have to come and code anymore. I can literally just perfect the idea you know, manage the, man, manage the whole product development from designing all the way to execution. So, yeah, I think, like, learning out code is very, very important. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. And 
so then transitioning to earlier this year, and I know 2021 feels like 10 years in one because I still can't believe this same year. Quite a stretch. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but earlier the year, right, there was some regulation from CBN that affected a lot of the crypto companies, right? So can you talk to us through, first yeah. of all, how did you feel when the news came out? And what has been Basika's reaction or pivot to accommodate those regulations? Interesting fact was that a lot of, like, you know, when that whole news broke and it was trending on Twitter and all that, like, mm-hmm. yes, a lot of um, Nigerian companies were obviously affected. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing about how I experienced that was that what people didn't know is that our assets were being kicked in Ghana as well, as far as crypto was really? concerned. Yes. So we were facing both... CBN and Bank of Ghana like at the same time. What? <laughs> a lot of people don't know that because a lot of companies are not in both countries, so they just had to face the wrath of, of the CBN. We had to face both. So yeah, we did. We definitely did not know this. Please, please yes. go, go into, into detail. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So so that was it. So but the Bank of Ghana handled theirs differently. What they did was that. Mm. So CBN sent a circular letter and it affected everyone, and it was put on you know mm-hmm. Wikipedia all that. But Bank of Ghana, they literally called mm-hmm. companies one by one. Obviously, they don't mm-hmm. know all the crypto companies, but basically. We like clout. We make a lot of noise. We and the videos we do like, bro. So they know us. Yeah. So they came to us and they basically like, you know, crypto is against the law. It's not regulated. So they want us to take all the crypto stuff out and many other like crypto adjacent stuff in our, in our app as well. So that was happening exactly the same time as it was happening for, in Nigeria as well. So to be very, 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 very honest, that was a big blow to Bitsika. I'm very sure to many other people as well. That was a huge blow to to all of us because we had a very good 2020. Everyone had a very, very good 2020. Yeah. And then yeah. we did this thing at the very beginning of this year where we published our 2020 numbers, which basically, so this company mm-hmm. published that, oh, they process 100 million this year. Another company processed 200 million, another processed 50 million. So that didn't really help if you think about it in terms of triggering the central banks because they felt like there was a lot of slippage happening in terms of they not controlling, like, Mm. you know, the FX coming in, I guess, and going out of the Mm -hmm. country, their various countries. Mm -hmm. And our Mm. numbers that we published basically proved that literally. I think all those actions on the part of the startup crypto founders in Africa publishing our numbers didn't help our case at all. So yeah, it was a very, very big blow. Like literally the central banks wrote a letter and billions of dollars of tractions were, you know, were were wiped in an afternoon, literally. So what happened was that once that letter came out, I mean, people on Twitter were just observing they complain, complain, and then they move on about mm-hmm. their day. But we, what we did was, mm-hmm. after the thing was trending on Twitter, they start getting emails. Monify will email you, hey, we are sorry, but you know, according to the circular, we have to stop, you know. And then this other API will email you, yeah. this other API. That was a very, very like wow. stressful day. Wow. And we, the founders, also had to email our customers because. 
We also had mm-hmm. an obligation to educate them on keep what them to do, keep them informed on what our next steps were going to be. So we had to take crypto out of Nigeria and take crypto out of Ghana as well. But in terms of how we pivoted, I think that it wasn't necessarily a pivot. It was more sort of like sort of like reinforcement of a direction we were initially going into. So I think that there's this concept mm-hmm. of a single point of failure. So a single point of failure, especially now that we're in, in crypto and networks, mm-hmm. you, you hear about single point of failures like yes. you don't want to be in a position where one person pressing a button will shut down your whole operation. And when all these things were happening, we debit scouting, we just realized that we accidentally built a very anti-fragile um, product because we were having struggles in different countries, but we were never at a point where 100% of yeah. our app was down. Something was always working somewhere yeah. in some country. Like there was always like a reason for tens of thousands of transactions to still happen every month on, on our app. And it, it, it basically was a very big aha moment for me. It's like, oh shit, like this is actually how, if you're going to build a platform, you should build it. You should build it in such a way that like you're anti-fragile, yeah. like no one letter, no one thing can, yeah. can destroy you. Tr- tr- so, truly, truly decentralized. Yes, truly decentralized. Um, so if you think about it, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean being in multiple countries. Mm-hmm. So that if you have one problem mm-hmm. in one country, you could still be running numbers mm-hmm. in another country. Mm-hmm. It could mean having multiple products. So let's say if they take out crypto, you still have this, you still have that. Mm-hmm. It could mean mm-hmm. separating your fintech and your crypto. It could mean mm-hmm. acquiring other... It could mean a lot of things, but it's more about like that mm-hmm. concept that I live with now that, oh, let's build... Every time we're building uh, things from now onwards... Build it in such a way mm-hmm. that there'll be no single point of failure. So that's sort of like a concept that I, I have in my yeah. mind now. And and so, yeah, I'd say that 2021 could have, you know, the vision we had for the year, like, was just thwarted in February, right? Like, mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the year, like, uh, everyone's vision was yeah. just thwarted. But it took everyone back to the drawing board, everyone back to the chalkboard. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, in hindsight, we realized that it was for the better. So I'm um, actually, I'm actually yeah. proud of where we are. Now. It's like building a company that's more anti-fragile, right? So it's almost yes. like, in a way, when COVID happened, it forced certain businesses to realize they were not anti-fragile. Exactly. All right, so it was like, okay, let's exactly. go back to drawing board. But the businesses who were not necessarily like businesses that were more software then hardware survived it better, right? But then when these regulations start rolling down, yeah, you're like, okay, even, we need to actually get more yeah, centralized. Yeah, because even the, the COVID era was like the best mm-hmm. year for fintechs, literally. Fintechs, yeah. Because yeah. everyone was indoors, everyone was making online transactions. People were stuck in other countries. They needed to send money back. People were stuck in countries. Mm-hmm. Their parents need to send them. Like, it was just a perfect scenario for... Um, yeah. So people, like, during COVID era... It was like, oh, fire on the mountain, fire on the mountain. But then numbers were just going up. I'm like, wait, where's the fire people mm-hmm. are talking about, right? But, yeah, and not just, I mean, African companies, we are just tiny, right? But think about like Zoom or Google mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. Twitter, like all these companies that became a TikTok, right? Like they became yeah. like 
epic household names during the pandemic. Just just think about that. Definitely an interesting comparison. But then let me ask you this, right? I would say that, in my opinion, I saw Bitsika utilize the brand ambassador marketing tool very well, even though I, I believe Davido is probably more than just a brand ambassador. But can you talk to us through what that process was like in engaging Davido's team, bringing Davido on board, and then the results that you saw after he launched the Bitsika campaign? I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought COVID up because COVID actually led to all this. So in now that I'm thinking, this is like a therapy session for me. I'm, I'm having breakfast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm realizing that if not for COVID, we wouldn't have signed the video. But let me explain. So mm-hmm. during COVID, people were so like in, you know, not so good financial states. So the advent of giveaway mm-hmm. culture really took off. But what happened mm-hmm. was that we had people... So basically, we, we pioneered, I think we pioneered the whole cash tag thing in like the African fintech space. I, people are going to cancel me when they hear this, but like, I don't think <laughs> like anyone was doing like cash tags before, like we did in like Africa at least. Mm-hmm. All right. So mm-hmm. with that whole cash tag thing and our app was so easy to use, it was like the perfect app for people to be doing giveaways like online. So people were just naturally using Bitsika doing giveaways online during the um, the pandemic. So what happened was that I wake up, I'll open my laptop, look at a dashboard, and like we're so many users, like so, you know, we're just, the numbers were just going, I'm like, wait, what's happened? Like this is just a random normal day. Why are like our users going crazy? Why are people like so many people downloading the app? Mm-hmm. So I'll go on Twitter and it's like, oh, someone is doing like a giveaway. Someone is just doing a random giveaway. Mm-hmm. Like, or one, one very prominent person, my friend Danny, he was one of the people, like, he was doing crazy giveaways, like, with our app and other people also doing the same thing. Giveaways actually, like, a very brilliant way to get people to to download your app because mm-hmm. it's, you can use 100, if you, if you use $100 to buy Facebook ads, think you, you'd get, like, 27 mm-hmm. people to download your app, right? But, if you tell yeah. people on Twitter that, hey, I'm about to give you $100, 10,000 people literally go download your app because they all think they're going to yeah. win. And everyone talks about retention. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's like the easiest mm-hmm. like criticism to have. But even if 10,000 mm-hmm. people download and only 5% or 10% end up becoming mm-hmm. users, like that's mm-hmm. still a far better result than giving your money to Facebook ads or Twitter ads. So give away because you you would yes. still struggle with retention yes. even yes. with Facebook yes. ads anyway. Yes, yeah. you still have to struggle with retention. So give away as a mm-hmm. as a promotional concept, uh, it just clicked for me. So we were in Ghana at the time, so yeah. I'm like, now nah, we need to do this on a big scale. If normal everyday people can do giveaways mm-hmm. and give us like hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of users in a day, mm-hmm. what if celebs did it? What if we actually got celebs to do it? So we started in Ghana with. You know, very big celebs in Ghana, mm-hmm. John Dumelo and Joey B. They are, uh, John Dumelo is a movie, movie star in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Joey B is like one of our cool rappers mm-hmm. here. And we signed mm-hmm. them to like year-long contracts where they were just doing giveaways like uh, weekly on the app, like every single Friday. It was mm-hmm. called Bitsika Fridays mm-hmm. at the time. And mm-hmm. bro, it literally was a perfect formula. Worked flawlessly. Wow. Thousands and thousands of users, like it, it just took off. Bitsika became like a cultural meme, like in Ghana online. And 
even John Dumelo was even running for an election. Uh, like uh, he wanted to be an MP, like sort of like uh, in Nigeria, it's like a senator. Mm-hmm. So and House of Reps, like House of Reps, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when he lost, they were like, "Oh, you shared Bitika, but they didn't vote for you." Like it was sort of like, <laughs> like sort of like cultural meme moment. Me. Yeah, so that was really really cool. Shout out to John Dumelo, though we love him. Yeah, we support him. Uh, um, so it was it was more like a cultural moment in Ghana. So obviously, Ghana wasn't our biggest market. Nigeria was. So it's like, if we replicated this in Ghana, then let's fucking do it in Nigeria as well. But uh, when you think of Nigeria, there yeah. are obvious names that come more like Davido and all that. So to be honest, I did think about Davido. Mm-hmm. The first person I thought about. Mm-hmm. But in my back of my mind, there was a little bit of like, ah, mm, this doesn't sound too possible. So uh, to be honest, Davido wasn't the first person I sort like approached. I think I, I emailed mm-hmm. a lot of people like Rema and stuff. I couldn't, for some reason, I I, I don't mm-hmm. have good luck when it comes to Marvin's crew. I don't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not good at reaching them for some reason, but so I couldn't get to them. So I was like, uh, what about the Instagram comedians in Nigeria? So, cause they usually have a lot of mm-hmm. um, followers as well. Mm-hmm. So there's this guy called the tower mm-hmm. guy, Sydney Talker. I don't know if you know him. Mm-hmm. I know, he, I know Sydney. I know Sydney. <laughs> so Sydney was like, believe it or not, he was like the guy I was banking on to like sign for Bitsika. So actually, I was in I was in Ghana at the time, but so my partner Alkech in Nigeria, he actually went to meet Sydney, but for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it didn't uh, end up going through. So we came back to the drawing board, and it's like. Mm-hmm. We just face the reality that this thing's working very well in Ghana. And as Bitsika, like Bitsika, we want to build a very great company. We want to build a very big company. So we have to stop thinking small. So then that was when the decision to start talking to David mm-hmm. um, came in. My team, so I'll give the credit to not just myself, but my whole team for sort of like just deciding to go that bit. Mm-hmm. Like just taking that leap of faith. Like, let's go that bit. Like, I'll catch Sami. Very, very instrumental. Like yeah. the whole David do they wouldn't happen without our questions. I mean, so we started talking to David's team. So it was a very, very long process to talking to them. They were very selective about whether or not they wanted to work with us. But we, so number one, obviously, is David Doe. Mm-hmm. Yes. But number two, I think what really excited me, we got, it was always more exciting. The more we got to talk to them, was it kept getting more exciting, more exciting. What was very exciting for me was the fact that they had ideas mm-hmm. about how, because you know they they built the biggest social media brand in Africa, so they have they had ideas about how yeah yeah our fintech thing that we're building for Gen Z and millennials, how that could fit into the mm-hmm. biggest brand they've also built for Gen Z and millennials. Like they were just thinking along those lines. Mm-hmm. They were not so. Mm-hmm. It is like the best person you you can work with because he doesn't even treat you like mm-hmm. it's not like other. Pe- I've worked with other people, so other people are like, yeah, you just give them deliverables, post this, do this, fine. Then then they go do it. Mm-hmm. David Doe yeah. wants to stay with you, talk to you. He wants to be part of the whole process. It's more like yeah. a family. It's, it becomes like a whole working relationship, not just a deliverables kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I really love that mm-hmm. vibe. I like his thinking. He's a very brilliant person obviously mm-hmm. and yeah yeah they wanted to, he wanted to be part of it beyond a lot of uh, deals like this would involve like money and cash no he wanted uh, equity just just goes to show you like mm-hmm. 
So the kind of guy he's he is thinking. and he's thinking and his he's team thinking. as well. And I, I yeah. love the fact that um, he, like I've learned a lot from David in terms of just how he interacts with his team, how he makes sure he makes sure yeah. everyone around him is good. He makes sure when his team, you know, they strike a deal, his team members are shareholders as well. And then he's also a share. Like mm-hmm. he's just that guy. Like I've learned so much from him. Like just making sure like, Every time you have a crew of people, make sure they are all good, and that's how you build loyalty. And exactly. I've just learned a lot from him, yeah. so that's that's how that whole thing came about. So when we his, his mindset is winning, winning help win. Yeah, let's like let's get rich together mindset, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I've learned mm-hmm. that from him. So talk to me about what that process was like the day he announced the Bitsica collaboration. Yeah, so the day the day the day we announced the Bitsica collaboration. So I didn't even know we we're gonna do a, a press conference, but they insisted David mm-hmm. and, and his team, Bobo Asad they insisted mm-hmm. like okay this now we're gonna mm-hmm. do it as big as fuck. Like we're gonna do it crazy. So um we did they organized a press conference. Um the press conference probably was supposed to start at quite early like I don't know like early in the morning like Mm-hmm. Or maybe like early afternoon or something. David arrived five, six hours late, um, as, <laughs> as as you do to a press conference. Where was, was it? Was this in Nigeria or Ghana? No, this was in VI in Nigeria. Victoria. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so David arrived like six hours late, and you know we've done a lot of things together. He has never been early before, like in his life. Uh, but oh, it's all cool. Um, so he was like six hours late. But obviously, when he arrived, like, obvious, the charisma and just, like, you know, the energy just entered. Everyone was just so happy to see him. And then we had a short briefing, and then we went to the press conference. That's the first press conference I've ever done mm-hmm. as a founder, as, as, you know, ever, actually. It was really cool. The media was there. It was just a very yeah. beautiful... It was small and intimate, but... You know, it was it was very beautiful, and I think he live streamed on his Instagram as it was happening. And then after the press conference, we did a giveaway and mm-hmm. basically announced it. So I think we literally shut down Twitter that day with the number one trend in the country that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Like literally, it was a very it was very impressive and, and amazing to see. Yes, I think, thank I think you very much. Even, you even said something about the server is almost all crashing, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the servers crashed. I think, like, people just didn't see that coming. It's not something you think about. No one says that. like, ah, let me go sign the video. Like, no one does. No one thinks about At least not in the yeah. tech realm. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very historic, very monumental. And it crashed the service. We crashed the service, and it, uh, my team brought it back up in an hour. So I mean, I respect my team so much for that, mm-hmm. for doing that. Because number one, if Davido announces your shit, it's gonna crash. Like, regardless, bro. Like, you can go hire anybody. Like, to build your server, it will crash definitely. If Davido announces it. So I think we can all see like the impact this has had in just a year. Everyone has gone like. Mm-hmm. I I, I want to confidently say. And again, they're going to cancel me for this, but I'll still say, like, I'll say that if not for Davido, uh, this guy signing Davido, I don't think Abeg would do what they did with Don Jazzy. I don't think yeah. they would yeah. have gone to BBN even. I don't think Chipaka should have signed Burner Boy. I don't think... A, a lot of companies have, have followed... Have yes, followed I, don't think, I don't think Rice Vest would have signed um, Tiani. I don't think... Kudabak would have signed Erika and Fireboy. I don't think I probably missed a few, but like I don't think 
any of these things would have happened. It was historic. And no matter how it ends or whatever, I think that that part of history in fintech in Africa, like you can't erase that. Like we did that. Like that's going to be there forever. That's like a, a, pivot, that's a, a pivotal moment in the history of fintech in Africa. Like no one can ever change that. That's a fact. Like I said, as someone who observed it happen on Twitter, I, I know the Davido team, I know you as well. It was just impressive to see the execution come through. And it was just like, wow, this is definitely a model. And as I've seen other companies embrace it, I'm like, well, I would say that the first time I've seen it really done well and executed was with Bitsika for sure. But Atsu, talk to me about the process of, first of all, hiring and retaining talent out of the African startup, right? Because you're talking about building a team. I think Naval had said earlier that startups are like the Olympics entrepreneurship, right? Like you don't come yeah. to the startup game if you don't have an Olympic team with you. What has that process been like for yes. you as a founder? First of all, hiring talent and retaining talent as well. Yeah, so I think I mentioned a little bit about like my early days when, let's say I didn't have a lot of resources. I also did not school mm-hmm. and like the struggles I came out with, like just mm-hmm. working with quote unquote, let's say mediocre talent that they didn't even care that much. Everything was just so lukewarm. But I think now that I'm properly knee deep in this tech industry, I think when it comes to gathering talent, it's two things. Yeah. It's number one, money, and number two, uh, your network. And I don't know if that sounds cliche or not, but like that is what I've observed. I do think that money is more of like a constant that anyone can go get because money is like, it's fungible. Anyone can have it. But I think the network is the most important one. I think it's important to have that network to sort of like attract great talent by network. Let me give you an example. So right now hiring is so easy for me. Like literally when I want like mm-hmm. a PHP dev, I need a designer. I need a flutter mobile dev. Mm-hmm. I literally have mm-hmm. to tell my team members who I work with now. So what happens is that great talent, mm-hmm. no other great talent because they all came up together. If I need a PHP dev, I fucking awesome PHP devs on my team. So like, hey guys, I, you know, my friend mm-hmm. is building a project. Can I, you know, do you, do you have any friends who would want to come on board? And then they do, and then they, you know, and then they recommend someone and it's always a, a hit, never, ever a miss. To be honest, like mm-hmm. I'll say more like 70% of the people who currently work as devs at BitSeeker or even like Air One, they were recommended by other people who were working there. The network is important. So it, to build that, network then it has to be about yes you probably have to go through the struggle of initially finding the the initial people we are going to build that network with so maybe the first mm-hmm. three four people you work with you might have to do a few reshuffles to find like the solid team yeah. that you can keep building on top of and also when building a team talent is one thing but mm-hmm. i think culture or sort of like the vibe if i'm to be Mm -hmm. informal is also very important as well because you might have people who are like technically very good Mm -hmm. or technically capable but you just don't have Mm -hmm. a good working relationship with them Mm -hmm. and i think as a founder in the very beginning there might be a little Mm -hmm. bit of a scarcity mindset and scarcity mindset comes from a lack of experience so it's like let's say you have a, a mobile dev the person seems so, 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 so good, or you have a backend there, the person seems so, so, so good. In in your scarcity mindset as a very early founder, you're like, shit, if I fire this guy, 
oh, like, wh- where are you going to find another person like that? You understand? Like, does that mm-hmm. disgusting mindset? But with experience as a founder, you realize that great talents are bound. Like, talents, like, there's, like, like in Nigeria market, so many amazing talent. In Ghanaian market, in mm-hmm. American market. So, not in your best interest to compromise and to sort of, like, build toxic or unpleasant work space just because the people you work with can execute or no you have to take the time to build a very strong foundation because that's the foundation upon which you're going to build the rest of your team so if the first two three people you work with are very solid you just keep building on top of them so that's very important so what would you then say to founders who maybe they, they realize that like I think you already hinted at this. They realize that they have not started out with a strong foundation. Maybe it's because they first started off with a scarcity mindset. How do they pivot to then encourage a culture of, first of all, excellence and then building on that culture itself? I think another thing early founders are also scared of, which I, when I look at my history, I wasn't very scared of, is the fear of mm. iteration. So early founders fear mm. iteration a lot. So iteration here, yeah, what I mean is that if you are building something, you are, again, you're knee deep into something, building it over the course of, let's say, yeah. like a year, and you realize that what yeah. we've built is shit and we have to go back to the mm. drawing board. I think a lot of people, yeah. they, they just dread that time wasted and just try to... Mm-hmm. Just keep going. Like, I mean, we've come so far, so let's keep going. I think one of my biggest advantages Mm -hmm. was I was always able to like, oh, yeah, I built this thing for five months, but fuck it, I'm going to start again Mm because it's shit or it doesn't make sense. So that applies to both product and personnel as well. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to like have a very poor foundation that you have to... So there's that whole technical depth, like personal depth as well. Like, are you just going to keep accruing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like all this baggage that you'd have to inevitably deal with that could come cause you trouble in the future? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to like Definitely. say, fuck it, let's start from, you know, let's start from level one and then have a better foundation to move into the future with. But, but you have to trust me when I say that, like, Anytime you start the iteration process where you discard old stuff and start over, mm-hmm. you are better than you were the mm-hmm. first time. Like, that's just how, you know, learning experience works. It's like if you are building a product, you realize that, oh, this, like, this is shit. Like, this is not what we should be doing. Like, I, you know, when you look at it, like, this is rather what we should mm-hmm. be doing. If you discard that and start over, you're yeah. going to do a better job because you have more experience now. So it's like, I think if I have to give advice to early founders as well, it's like, don't be scared of crazy iteration, like literally discarding what you've been building and starting over. And it should apply to both product and personnel as well. Highly agree. Highly agree. So then, Atsu, let's talk about, first of all, the promise of crypto and decentralization, right? And I want to really get your thoughts on this. I believe that some people say, okay, first you should engage with regulators. And I do believe in that. But doesn't crypto in in its essence really seek to replace the regulators of government bank currency that we have today? So what, what does that look like when it seems like, okay, companies want to engage with regulators, but the regulators do feel, and some may say rightly so, that, hey, guys, we're engaging in something that's here to cannibalize us in the future. So what is it to really engage in, right? Because if Bitcoin or if crypto is supposed to be 
not to have one single point of failure and it's supposed to be decentralized and it's supposed to be better store of value than our government-backed currency, what use do we serve in that future? What would you, what would you say to that? What I think is that there's the utopia of crypto that we're trying to create, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the utopia of crypto where, because like even right now, if you think about even like the tools we have today, people say it's day one, but we have like amazing tools. Mm-hmm. Literally, mm-hmm. what if everyone in the world downloaded Trust Wallet or Rainbow Wallet or MetaMask? And what if everyone mm-hmm. used US, mm-hmm. USDC, right? Or BUSD? Like what would that world look like? It's theoretically possible today, right? Yeah, right. But that's a crypto utopia. Mm-hmm. But to get to that utopia, mm-hmm. I think that there's an inevitable transition that we have to make. And that's literally what we're in the midst of now. Yeah. So it's like you have to onboard all those people. All those people are holding cash. You have to help them change it into crypto. Like it's going to be a long transition to there. And then since you are dealing with government money, the government yeah. is going to be involved. So it's like, even when you think about like DeFi projects that we have today, that purely crypto, you still have to change your fiat before you get the Ethereum mm-hmm. or whatever to go like trade those DeFi tokens as well. So we, those like we, fees, <laughs> yeah, those gas fees. So we are definitely, definitely <laughs> in a transition period. So I don't necessarily think that it's about picking sites or even about I need to be polarized. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you get me like this side or the other. It's a it's a it's a transition that we don't mm-hmm. even have a choice than to partake in till we get to that point. That's how I see it. Um, and a good example that you can give is like think about like college applications, right? Like my dad was telling me when you know he went mm-hmm. to high school in like the eighties or whatever, like seventies or eighties, and when they were applying to college, they had to literally write it on the application on paper and put in an envelope and like post it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it will get to america like and then people Bruh. like get into the late 90s all these colleges they're like you know okay we're gonna start accepting online applications as well and it was just an option you mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. and then fast forward to today is like like there's no like those all those schools like i'm sure like all the ivy league schools and stuff they don't even have paper applications anymore so let's use so we are in the more like it's like when harvest started accepting online applications in 1997 mm-hmm. like that's where we are with mm-hmm. crypto now it's like yeah people are still sending college applications in envelopes but like oh there's this laptop thing there's this ww dot thing that you can also put your application on it we are in that transitional mm. period so if it took 20 years yeah. to transition from purely paper envelope college applications to purely online college applications then let's accept the transition period of money as well um so that's that's how i see it's like yeah it's a necessary um intermediary step that we have to take to to onboard people but i do strongly believe that the 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 future is going to be like a crypto utopia that's how i see it and how how long it would take i don't know things seem to be moving pretty fast but it should be in our lifetimes you know that's mm-hmm. that's what i think so then actually you had mentioned earlier during the, the recording you had said you dropped out of school to pursue your entrepreneurship full-time could you talk to us a bit about the mindset of, first of all, being an entrepreneur 
and maybe what influences allowed you to embrace the freedom to pursue the passion that you had in terms of being a founder? So I was lucky enough to, so I went to Infant Spring School in Ghana. That's like the first mm-hmm. school, first high school built in Ghana. It's a really uh, cool school. Mm-hmm. And after that, mm-hmm. I got um, a scholarship to go to college in America. So very, very lucky. I think mm-hmm. any Ghanaian kid will kill for that, you know, resume. So like, I'm very grateful for the, mm-hmm. those kind of opportunities that I got. So I'd say that to, to get those opportunities that don't come to like other kids in my shoes very easily, like it was a very difficult thing to quit um, school to come pursue my, my dreams. And I mm-hmm. always try not to glamorize it, you mm-hmm. know, when, when I tell my story, because it might sound like, oh, I was brave or like, you know, I was like a warrior or something like, hey, I quit school and, you know, but... I think context is very, very important when telling your story because you don't want to mislead anyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was Definitely. it was very, like, tumultuous, very, like, sort of, like, contentious. Like, I was... So so that was the thing. Like, I, I started, like, I was going to school, but I found mm-hmm. myself focusing more on, like, things I was just doing on my laptop, like learning HTML and CSS, like, reading about startups, like, writing um one pagers for ideas i had like building stuff like those things occupied the with that like genuine interest that just occupied my my time and i I just wasn't interested mm-hmm. in school anymore so started building small small projects yeah. in school like web websites like web applications like e-commerce stuff just stuff like that it was mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. You know, I just became so, so, so interested. So, so it became clear to me, like, like I'm enjoying this, and this is what I want to do, and I want to leave school to do that. But just the fact that I was attending a school that cost at the time was cost about seventy k, like a private school. You understand? Just like, ah, uh, like, am I really doing this? Like, it was just a very, 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 very difficult decision for me, and something that I had to just blindly jump into that abyss as Elon Musk said once mm-hmm. like that's what entrepreneurship is you jump into the abyss while chewing glass I think I fucked up that quote but something like that um, <laughs> it does feel like chewing glass though yeah chewing, gla- yeah, chewing glass while jumping into the abyss something like that and and I that's what it felt like you have to literally close your eyes and jump so I would say that yes it's something I wanted to do and I had to coerce myself to do, but it wasn't without fear. It wasn't without mm-hmm. trepidation. It wasn't without like second guessing. And yeah, so mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. actually like I quit school like low key that summer before just to test it out. Uh, I went back and then I quit again. Like it, was, it wasn't even just once, right? So it was sort of like a very difficult decision to make, but that and and that's what it was. I think when usually when you hear about people making such big changes in their lives, it might sound like they were so brave at the time, but no, it, it yeah is mostly very difficult decisions in the moment. But that's what taking a risk is like. You jump into something that you believe in. So that's what I. I and you don't, you don't just don't you don't you don't know you don't know you, you don't know. But that's that's why it's a risk. That you know that's why it's a. Yeah, hopefully it's a calculated risk, but you know. It, so yeah, then. Would you say that yeah. you feel? Would you say you feel more fulfilled with the way your life has gone? 
even if it's the stories that have come, the successes, do you just wake up every day feeling like you have more purpose to your life? Yeah, I definitely feel like, so I, I feel like, you know, God has blessed me far beyond um, what I would have even like hoped or wished for. And now when I look back at that, I'm like, shit. So me making that decision, like, just look at how it turned out. And I think those things sort of like, we, we are still young people, right? So like things like that, they become insights for you into the future, so it's like, you know, when I'm making decisions now and I'm in a difficult spot, I just remember that, oh, shit, like, yeah, if you feel strongly about something, it, it might not be a bad idea to actually jump into it because look at how this this turned up. And I also want to prop mm-hmm. up my parents mm-hmm. as well because they were always quite encouraging in that aspect, in that aspect as well. Obviously, they're older than me. They've gone through life um a million times even before i was born so they had that insight well well uh before i got it so basically like yeah i know this is a difficult step you are taking but you know it's it's all going to be for the better you just have to work hard at it like they they always knew that but i had to experience that for myself so yeah my parents have been very supportive as well definitely that's, everyone usually gets to deal with failure at some point right what would you say was your first encounter with failure when you first started out as an entrepreneur, how did you deal with it and what did the experience teach you? So, yeah, I'd say that, yeah, I definitely dealt with failure, uh, especially building my first company, which is Bitsika. So the failure came in the form of iterations, like I said. So basically, like Bitsika has really mm. been the name of like four or five companies because we were just changing Every time this version failed, we change into the next. So initially, Bitsika was more of like a USSD platform. Do you, you know what USSD is? That whole shortcut thing people dial on their phones. Like you can dial like star one, two, four, hash. Don't know if you're familiar with that. So Bitsika was that where you can use that mm-hmm. shortcut thing to buy Bitcoin onto your phone number. So we, when you log onto that shortcut, we basically turn your phone number and we we attach a crypto address to it. So basically, if you send crypto between phone numbers instead of like long, so like ENS for phone numbers, something like that. That's what, that's what Bitsika was. Mm-hmm. But obviously, mm-hmm. it was too nerdy and technical for the for the mass market. It so some some might consider mm-hmm. it a failure, but I saw it as more of like a pivot. We've we had like three or four other iterations after that. So I'd say that my sort of like yeah. experience with failure, so that's what it, it was mainly, you know, just things not working out as you expected it to be. And I'll say that I'm that kind of person that I'm very like wide-eyed or I, I don't know how to express what I'm trying to say, but like every, everything I build, not even that, like, curiosity. You know, like it's, <laughs> my, my, my whole optimism borders on grandiosity. Like literally... Like back in the day, mm-hmm. anything I was doing, I thought, yeah, this is my billion dollar idea. Like literally everything. <laughs> and I treated I treated like that. And when you have that behavior, you set yourself mm-hmm. up for disappointment. Because <laughs> <laughs> like it's I mean, you're gonna have to try like 27 times before it actually works out mm-hmm. but like and that you can just imagine like the depressive episodes that that took me through but like 
yeah. So yeah, that's I'd say that my failure mainly came from those kind of experiences where like everything I worked on, like I've worked on so many, you know, uh tiny, tiny projects, everything I work on, I feel like, mm-hmm. oh, this the thing that's gonna blow me up. This is my bill, this is my Mark Zuckerberg story right here. Like that's has always been my I uh my mindset from the very first thing I built. And I failed at mm-hmm. all of them till like I found uh my success. So basically, like there was failure at each point, failure at each point. But I'll say that the the lesson mm-hmm. there for me is the fact that I didn't like give up. That's what I'll say. Like I didn't give up. That spirit of iteration yeah. was always like in the back of my mind. Like always just Oh, build something for six months. I didn't work out. Okay, fuck it. Let's do another thing. And for everything I built, yes. thought it was going to be a billion dollar idea. Never happened, but just kept trying like every year. So that's 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 my experience with, with failure. I love it. So Atsu, as we slowly round up, yeah, if the only thing left in the world to read was a book about your life, what would the title of the book be? Wow. It would be called try, try and Error. <laughs> <laughs> Why Trial and Error? Yeah, I, 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 I want to encourage the, the young entrepreneurs to have that, that mindset. Like, mm-hmm. just try things till, 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 till it works out. I want them to have that mindset. That's, that's, that's how I, I've lived my life. And that's just how I'm going to continue living it. Like, just... Yeah, focus on the process. Uh, the destination will eventually come, but the process is what gets you there. You you write the process by trying, waking up every morning to try. Are there any three books, or are there any books in particular that have had a profound impact in your life? Yes, there there. Are. There's one book, Anti Fragile by Nassim Taleb. Mm. That's like yeah. a very very powerful book for me. Huge book, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it talks about systems that. So we know about systems that break under pressure. We know about systems that mm-hmm. don't get affected by pressure. But he opened my mm-hmm. mind to systems that become stronger under pressure. Like that's a concept mm-hmm. that you don't even mm-hmm. think about. You know about things that break. You know about things that don't break. But have you really thought about things that get actually stronger <laughs> with pressure? So that's the concept mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. anti-fragility. can be applied in many aspects of life. Think about like it can be applied in business, in reputation. Think about like Donald Trump. Donald Trump, like one of the most anti-fragile people. Yeah. He does, <laughs> you know, he does so many controversial things on a daily basis. So nothing destroys him. No matter what, like he literally yeah. um, you know, had a scandal with a porn star. That would literally any anyone else would have to resign. But he like on you know after a week they moved on to the next story literally yeah. <laughs> um he gained he gained some disorder yes <laughs> yeah so um he he becomes stronger with each controversy obviously not condoning mm-hmm. him but he's one of like the models of anti-fragility as far as like reputation is concerned Definitely. there are anti-fragile businesses like i'm trying to build it kind of that where mm-hmm. like all the and and it's actually true because like two years ago this CBN thing would have probably destroyed me because but now like mm-hmm. that's quote unquote the worst that could have happened to our industry and it did yeah and we are still thriving mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. what else like you know that kind yeah. of 
So it's, that's businesses can become anti fragile through by mm-hmm. facing the obstacles head on. Because if this thing had not happened, that would be lingering on anyone's wow. What if CBN wakes up one morning and what if CBN up one morning mm-hmm. they actually woke up one morning and did the worst now <laughs> yeah still alive the worst People happened still raising crazy like you know that kind of mindset um yeah so uh, anti-fragile by nasim talib is one i read bitcoin mm-hmm. standard by mm-hmm. c15 he has a middle eastern name probably can't pronounce but it's a book i just finished so, yeah. so I'm, I'm definitely excited to even talk about that yeah so basically that book i'd never uh, read anything about like money and monetary systems literally never understood mm-hmm. it on any fundamental level did one economics mm-hmm. class in college i slept through the whole thing i didn't enjoy it, <laughs> didn't enjoy it at all but i love this book because this book it was it's supposed to be a book that ev- evangelized bitcoin to you but he wrote it for the general public and actually took his, I love what he did, which is he took you through the history of money step-by-step, step. understand how humans have, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, evolved when it comes to money and it, it helps you understand where we are now. So think about like from butter trade to carries to like, like soft metals to gold, the gold standard. I never knew that mm-hmm. cash was supposed to be a receipt for gold. Like I didn't know that. Like it was literally supposed to be like like pound, right? Like if you have one pound, it was supposed to be like mm-hmm. a receipt mm-hmm. for you know equivalent for, for gold, yes, gold. gold. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what it was supposed to be before the mm-hmm. gold standard was um done away with replaced by fiat. Yeah, yeah, replaced by fiat and monetary policies. People started printing mm-hmm. money. And now Bitcoin is probably like a good way to return to a more perfect gold stand. That's like one of the most brilliant mm-hmm. books I've ever read. It just opened my mind yeah. to like exactly what we're building and why we're building. It, it really did open my mind. Led me down a rabbit hole of reading yeah. other Bitcoin books. Um, so definitely that. A third one. I don't know if I have a third one off the top of my head. I feel like those two books enough are like enough, enough to change to get anyone's anyone life. Started. Right? <laughs> <laughs> enough to get anyone started. I remember when I first read Anti Fragile, I was like, I finally have a word to describe how I've always first yes. viewed yes. things. Yes. Especially being Nigerian, right? We we, we 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 live in a very dysfunctional environment, but we still see And it makes you stronger, so yes. It makes you stronger. Yeah. So <laughs> the idea of gaining from disorder, I'm like, look, we've been gaining from disorder for a while now. <laughs> since, since, bro. Since. <laughs> since, 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 since I was born. Like, we've really gained from disorder. The Bitcoin <laughs> Standard was a book that was recommended to me by actually a guest that we had on the podcast, Michael Ugu. And he says, actually, you have to, you have to go read this book. So I, I finished, eventually finished reading it this past weekend. And it became, I turned into an evangelist. Like I went to my parents. I'm like, look, here's a Coinbase wallet. <laughs> Download a Coinbase wallet. Start investing in crypto. And the more I talked to them about the utility and not necessarily the tech or the infrastructure, the more they seem to understand it. I even bought the book for my dad too, right? Because it's like, I want people to understand that we can actually take back control of our money, right? And one of the examples I used with them was like during the NSARS protest last year when the government banned people's ability to donate i'm like what do you believe that it's the right of any government to tell you what to do with your own money 
Yes. And a, lot, a lot of them said no. But yeah, like, but as long as that power is available, it's going to be used. Yeah, yes. it's going to be used. It's going to be used. Yeah. And I said to them, we need to transition, especially in this age of technology that we actually trust. I think some of the questions I put to people is, when, when if I asked you, do you trust in its technology versus do you trust in government? Most people would say I trust in technology because they've seen technology come with progress. Right, but they've seen government most of the time come with no progress or stagnation, right? So it's like then the same mindset might as well apply to money, you know. So it's uh, those are two great books that we'll definitely be sharing in the podcast notes at the end of the podcast. But uh, if, 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 yeah. if I'm to recommend, no, go on. Um, I'd like to recommend a book called in- Inventing Bitcoin. So this mm-hmm. writer, so I actually had the privilege of interviewing him. Like we did like a, a Zoom call. Um, so mm-hmm. he basically wrote a book to think about how Satoshi's thought process must have been when mm-hmm. he was inventing Bitcoin. So basically, like how would mm-hmm. someone build Bitcoin if they were Satoshi in terms of like, oh, I want to build a form of money yeah. that has no other external control. It's controlled. Everything that it needs to be controlled by within the system itself. And the system would validate itself. There'll be no third parties. Um, there'll be no outside data coming in to, to cheat the system. And how currencies will be generated from energy um, so that they wouldn't have to be exchanged for cash in the real world in terms of minting new tokens. Like just the process of like, it's, it's mm-hmm. semi-technical by technical for sort of like the general population in terms of like how someone who would have invented Bitcoin and what their thoughts process would be like step by step. Like that it's, it's, it's one of the most brilliant books I've read about Bitcoin. So it's a short read. So I'd also recommend that to um, the, the, the audience as well. Definitely. That's just, we ask all the guests to come on the podcast, yeah. right? What does being Afropolitan mean to you? Um, being Afropolitan, for me, it's about acknowledging where you come from, which is Africa. That's where we come from. Knowing sort of like the realities within which we grew up, you know, having the opportunities that we, we do now and not taking it for granted. I think that's how I see my journey as an mm-hmm. African, Pan-African. This is like we are, quote unquote, the lucky ones, like to have the opportunities that, we are Africa's one percent. We we have to yeah. have the opportunities that we have. So I think we can't take our position for granted, and um, we just it's 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 something that has to be like a conscious mm-hmm. realization and decision. And being like self aware about that is is how you make the the right decisions for the future. We want to build things that not just enrich us, but you know play our small parts in helping our communities as well. So it's a combination of knowing just where you come from in its history, knowing the fact that you are privileged and the opportunities you have and making some use out of those opportunities. That's how I see being Afropolitan. That's it, man. I feel like we actually could for hours, man. <laughs> <laughs> like I, like I, I want us to definitely have you back on the podcast because I want to talk more world philosophy sure. and worldview. And especially really going deeper into, first of all, even mental health, um, uh, how founders can even deal with depression. But I want us to, to give people a teaser of this first conversation, and then we'll, we'll definitely do this again when you have some time. But before you go, though, let's talk about the social tokens, right? I, I mean, you released the social token with Davido recently. 
Can you talk to tell us about the the mission behind the social token, why and what it represents in the crypto space as well? Just as we pioneered the whole Afrobeat fintech collaboration thing, I think this also very much a pioneering step as well in of itself. So I, I think that where that this whole idea came from is like we trying to think a little bit into the future because you can see a lot of companies mm-hmm. raising rounds and it's all like B2B API, like Web2 kind of stuff. But then when I'm on Twitter and I see, okay, Africa, we're always raising like crazy amounts on Web2. Mm-hmm. But when you look on Twitter, all the SF, all the white people, Americans, they're all building to Web3. They're all like, they are, they all have their foot into the future. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there's a huge disparity. We're going to wake up one day and like all the opportunities are gone. And that sounds a, a little bleak, but think about this. Like when you build a Web3 product, it's built for the whole world on day one. There's nothing like people try and do like, oh, I'm building this NFT mm-hmm. thing for Africa, NFT marketplace for Africa, but that pitch alone disqualifies it because there's nothing like I'm building an NFT mm-hmm. platform for Africa. Anyone with Ethereum wallet can access your platform. So why is it at, at, for Africa? Mm-hmm. There's nothing like mm-hmm. where it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's it's not, not geo, geo-tag, like geo-located, like geo-block. It's literally yeah. supposed to be global on day one. Like, that's the whole idea of Web3, the autonomy, mm-hmm. the location blindness. Like, that's, that's um, like a core feature of, of Web3. So I'm like, yes, we're like, th- I can just see mm-hmm. that disparity, that gap just increasing daily. I'm like, no, we have to have our foot in the present. Yes, like I said, we're mm-hmm. doing, let's do our fintech stuff, but let's think into the future what opportunities what's the, the space going to look like in five years what the space is going to look like in five years is what we are going to build now and look at what our our for uh, you know western counterparts are building yeah. social tokens nfts um d5 projects you know futures markets just like autonomous you know um you know like web, web three projects so that's that got me mm-hmm. thinking, and it's not just about the Ichok social mm-hmm. token alone, but it's more a shift in mindset of like like where my thinking mm-hmm. is going as like, what would the world look like in five years' time? What would the internet look like in five years' time? And how can I start mm-hmm. taking steps into that? You don't want to become AOL. You don't want to become like, oh, they were big in the 90s. You don't want to become that company mm-hmm. that they used to be cool, right? You mm-hmm. and, and, and that's how you do it. Like, mm-hmm. you, you always have to take a step. Like, Zuckerberg just announced his Metaverse play. The Metaverse would probably not be here until next five years, next 10 years. But, like, he's building it now. So, yeah. in the next five years... And years, also attracting attract future builders, exactly, too. Right? Exactly, and that's how. Because the future is, like, we don't know what the future is going to look like. But the future is going to look like what we are building today. The stuff we are building today is what mm-hmm. the future is going to look like. So that's what so like inspired that thinking. We've been building this for a long time, about eight mm-hmm. months. So the idea for the token mm-hmm. is very simple. It's like mm-hmm. it's a way to build um, uh, so like a small tax force community online that does positive things. So if you look at Davido's brand and Bitika's brand, 
we promote positivity mm-hmm. and we promote generosity. Like they've done so many generous things. Basically, that's some generous things, giveaways, just giving stuff back to the community. Uh, what if there was a way to create an economy around this? What if there was a way to create a community around this? What if there was a way to mm-hmm. make sure that all people who really care about what we are doing stand to, number one, form an identity around what, what we are doing and also stand to gain as well? So that's the general thesis of our project. So basically, a token that will be used to redeem yeah. like all the general things that we're already doing and then more now yes and um building it uh davido obviously played a major part in how it was structured but both him and and us as mm-hmm. well we want to build it to go beyond him and become more of like a social token for the continent and hopefully globally as well definitely definitely so out of curiosity right um and please correct me if i'm wrong because i'm not necessarily very familiar with the technical details when you, when a token like this is released and it was it released on the BEP twenty yes Binance yes, the Binance network. Market, yes and then I think the, the other one is uh, the ERC twenty yes right? 20, yes so would it be a good way to describe maybe BEP twenty as the Android of <laughs> oh of um, of like <laughs> crypto and then ERC as the as the iPhone I mean what do you what do you think. <laughs> I mean, just because of just how high the, the gas fees on, on ERC is, I'll definitely agree that they mm-hmm. are the iPhone of the crypto world. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, BS, the Binance Smart Chain is literally a carbon copy mm-hmm. of Ethereum, but it's just faster and it has like mm-hmm. a thousand times like cheaper fees. That's, that's literally... So literally... Everything mm-hmm. about Binance Smart Chain Ethereum are similar. Like the way the addresses are, like the smart contracts, the use solidity, like literally everything is the same, except for like the administration. Mm-hmm. So like like um transactions on Binance Smart Chain is faster and it's way, way cheaper. That's literally the difference. Binance Smart Chain is from Binance Ethereum from the mm-hmm. Ethereum um guys. So that's basically yeah, Android and iPhone, I think that's a good that's a good that's a good that's, that's a good comparison. I'm, I'm probably gonna use that somewhere. Just give me credit. It came to mind the other day because I, I was talking with some devs and we're saying like these gas fees are unsustainable. Like the other day I had I wanted to buy I, I got a um ENS domain for a friend's daughter who just turned one. And oh, well. the, just the gas fees alone just <laughs> was maybe like two, three. It was it was discouraging, right? It was I, no, no. I, I mean, I still went ahead and did it, but <laughs> my thing is, it's like if this is how I'm feeling, I'm, I'm I'm more maybe privileged than most people. This is not something that's scaling across places like Africa, where people of my nine we have disposable income. So I was like, we do definitely need a network that can scale without having to pay outrageous gas fees. Right? And 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 Binance Smart Chain is that network because. So today we did our first airdrop of the Ichok tokens and our platform literally mm-hmm. crashed out of like the hype and just too many people on the web app, it crashed. Mm-hmm. There's no way we could have done that airdrop on Ethereum because the gas fees would have just, just, just been nuts. Mm-hmm. Like it would just not have made sense because um, imagine me giving you free tokens and a $1 
uh, like giveaway, and then you need to pay fifty dollars to redeem that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to pay fifty dollar gas fee to redeem the one dollar and free right. tokens I was giving. So it's just not practical. You can't do it like a giveaway like that on Ethereum. Binance Smart works very well. So Binance Smart Chain. Mm-hmm. So for comparison, the gas fees on Binance Smart Chain like this even was. Zero point one five dollars, like fifteen cents, and on Ethereum today mm-hmm. was hovering around like forty dollars. So similar transaction would cost forty dollars on Ethereum and cost fifteen cents on Binance Smart Chain. Mm-hmm. So that's a difference of mm-hmm. four hundred, like or more, like mm-hmm. a bit about four hundred or three hundred and something. Like that's insane if you think about it. But I think people use Ethereum. There is a very big mm-hmm. community, and it's also more of like a decentralized. So, so Binance compromise on decentralization for speed and and fees. Mm-hmm. Ethereum didn't compromise mm-hmm. on on that. So, I mean, that's that's just how economics is. You you have to give up something to to make up for something else. But yeah, each, each project that shine in its own light, but for some whatever reason, a lot of people still gonna build their projects on Ethereum. They don't care. Like that's where they want to build So yeah. I can imagine. No, but absolutely, man. Thank you again for stopping by. Like I said, we could talk for hours, right? And yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when next, like I said, when next we have you on, we're doing full on Web three dive because I, I do believe that. Someone like you, especially, I always say like, I love developers who also have a philosophical point of view when it comes to their code, because then you know you're building with a worldview in mind, and then you can, yeah. you can bring people into that worldview, people can buy into that worldview, and so okay, this is what we're moving to, you know? So, yeah. um, like, for a lot of people, especially in the African diaspora context, we're still very new to this space, and we'll need spaces like this where we can explain and break down these concepts for for people in our community, you know. So again, thank you for stopping by the Afropolitan Podcast. It was a pleasure to have you both. Thanks, bro. Thank you for listening to the Afropolitan Podcast. We are building the future of a progressive Black community. To join our community, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Afropolitan. Be sure to join our Discord and Clubhouse community by clicking on the link tree on our Instagram page. See you on social.